Welcome to the Way Church Podcast. The Way Church exists to love God, love others, and make disciples. You can find out more about the Way Church at thewaychurchrva.com. Now we hope you enjoyed today's podcast. All right, good morning, church. My name is Kelly Martin. I serve with the uh, kids and on the stewardship committee. So let's prepare our hearts for the reading of the uh, Lord's Word. Reading from Acts chapter 2, verses 42 through 47. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to the fellowship, to the breaking of bread, and to prayer. Everyone was filled with awe, and many wonders and signs were being performed through the apostles. Now all the believers were together and held all things in common. They sold their possessions and property and distributed the proceeds to all as any had need. Every day they devoted themselves to meeting together in the temple and broke bread from house to house. They ate their food with joyful and sincere hearts, praising God and enjoying the favor of all the people. Every day, the Lord added to their number of those who were being saved. This is the word of the Lord. Amen. Father, we thank you for bringing us here. We thank you for your word. And we just ask that you lead us and guide us and worship through your word and let your name be glorified. May Jesus be lifted high and clearly saw, Father. We thank you for what you're doing in this place. Thank you for this time. We pray in the name of Jesus. Amen. Amen. You may have a seat. Thank you, Kelly. And thankful for Kelly and those alongside of him and the team, Way Kids Ministry. Uh, what a blessing the Way Kids Ministry is. Uh, I know you guys appreciate them um, just every week. Just such a blessing what they do for our families and kids. And so when you see them, just give them a quick encouragement if you would. And, uh, and know that there's always a need back there. I like, It's such a great need. And we want to invest well in our families and in the coming up generations. Um, and so thankful for them. Well, man, we're continuing this series called Moment to Movement. And as we've seen over the last few weeks, it started with a moment, and really the moment was Christ's resurrection, which our faith is based on. But then this movement kicked off from that, and last week we saw just the outpouring of the Holy Spirit, and we're going to continue to see just this movement that God has made in the church. And so today we're going to be in Acts chapter 2, verses 42 through 47. So if you have your Bible, please go and turn there. We'll be in there, jumping around here and there between those passages. But if you're taking notes, you can title this sermon, A Compelling Community. A Compelling Community. And here in this passage, you see Luke, who wrote this book of Acts. He gives kind of a summary statement of sorts of what the church looked like at this moment in time. And so we're going to dive into this, this, this summary statement that he makes, but there's really one word that we're going to focus on this whole time. Now, one word that you see in verse 42 is fellowship. Now, I'm just kind of curious because it's, it's all kind of backgrounds represented here, church, not church, and different types of churches. And so I wonder, when you hear the word fellowship, I wonder what comes to mind. Like for me, I wasn't raised in the church, but the last 20 or so years I've been involved in church and ministries. And so when I hear a fellowship, my mind immediately goes to some kind of after church potluck. My alone that? Food. You know, you got Aunt Patty's pasta and Barbara's baked ziti and Marty's messed up macaroni and cheese. You got these things that like, this, that's what I think of fellowship, it's food. Or sometimes fellowship is just going out and having fun. Right, that's what we have. Like next month, this coming month, our men's ministry is just going to go out and have some fun together. So we're still trying to iron that out, but just go out and just be with each other. And what I want us to see here this morning in the text and bouncing off of this text is 
These are aspects of fellowship, but they are also missing the fullness of what biblical fellowship is. A fellowship is so much more than a meal and so much more than sharing casual moments. And the word fellowship in Greek is koinonia. It's all right, if you don't know it now, you will by the time we leave, so I'm going to say it over and over and over. Koinonia, because it's such a, a full word. It means so many different things. It means participation. Koinonia means sharing. Koinonia means partnership. Koinonia means contribution. This is what fellowship comes from, the word koinonia. And so we see this word fellowship used in verse 42, like we said. They, it says, devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching, to the fellowship, to the breaking of bread, and to prayer. And just a quick recap from last week, this Holy Spirit-powered moment ignited a movement where about 3,000 people gave their lives, came to faith in Jesus, and were baptized. It's ignited this movement. And, and just a quick, I guess, awareness of what we do here. Because I have a question every once in a while. Of, like, when do you guys schedule baptisms? When's the next baptism scheduled? And my response is, yes. When you want to be baptized, we'll make the water. That's what we're going to do. Right? We'll provide the water. That's what you see in the Bible. Belief, baptism. Belief, baptism. It's never baptism, belief. Never. Never. As Christians, belief and then baptism over and over again. And it's almost, every time you see it, it's, I believe, where's the water? So, man, let me just pause there. If you haven't followed Jesus in biblical baptism, let's do it. Next week. Right? I can't do it today. But if you want to do it today, we'll go to the river. Let's say that. But we'll make it happen. It's so important. That's what we see last week is belief, baptism. Jesus exemplified it and then commanded it, and so his followers did it. And so you see this church just explode from about 120 to about 3,000. Just a movement of God. But here Luke starts describing it, the beginnings of the churches. You see a form and functions of the church. And like we talked last week, the church from its inception prioritized regular rhythms of togetherness. They were together. There was a clear commitment that Christians had to be in community with one another. At their core, they revolved around commonalities. And when I think about a, a community that's revolving around commonality, I, I think you know, school has started up, and whether it's high school, middle school, college, there's all these clubs that you can get involved in, right? There's so many choices of these little community pockets that shares a commonality, and I want to do that. You know, if you go on the Frisbee, the Frisbee club, and you name the club. And I remember high school, we had this one club that everyone wanted to be in. It was the Future Business Leaders of America. And you may ask, well, why would everybody want to be in that? Why was that so popular? Me included. I had no desire to be a future business leader in America or of America, but I wanted to be in that club for one reason. At the end of the year, they would take a trip, an overnight trip. They would stay at a hotel, and it was known to be a whole lot of fun that had nothing to do with leading businesses, right? So sign me up. But I think we come to church sometimes like that. Just it's something I do, and I check the box, and then go on with the rest of my Sunday and Monday and Tuesday. And it's so much more than that. The fellowship that the church has is so much more than that. And so tightly joined together this commitment that believers had and should have today. The Apostle Paul likens its form and function to the body of Christ. That's what he writes to the local church in Corinth in 1 Corinthians 12. 
Verse 27 says, now you are the body of Christ and individual members of it. And that you are, it's like you all, or if you're further down south, y'all, right, are the body of Christ and individual members of it. There's a togetherness. I just wonder, like, say this, say if you're walking down the road, sidewalk, and you come across an arm laying on the sidewalk, right? You'd be thinking, one, that's weird. But what you wouldn't be thinking of, you wouldn't say that's a body. That's a member of the body, right? And a member of the body that's detached from the body, it's useless. It's dead, dying. And so not only is that arm, weird analogy I realize, just follow me here, is useless, but now there's a body walking around potentially that's limited in its function because it's missing the, the member. Tracking here? The Apostle Paul says this is the church. We're individual members of the body, form and function, living together, doing these things, doing life together, rather rhythms, spiritual giftedness, serving, caring, bearing each other's burdens. We're going to get to all this, but this is the body life that we're called to have as Christians, this togetherness that they emphasize and prioritized. And it's interesting, when you go back even further back to the creation order, when God spoke all things into existence and informed man and made woman, you know the first thing that wasn't good that God said, this is not good. It wasn't sin. It was before that. It was it's not good for man to be alone. Aloneness. We weren't meant to be alone and isolated. Hebrews 10 talks about this in verse 24 and 25. It says, let's consider one another in order to provoke love and good works, not neglecting to gather together as some in the habit of doing. Man, that will, that will preach today, won't it? That was 2,000 years ago. How about now? Not neglecting to gather together as some are in the habit of doing. We weren't meant to be alone. We need the community that, that Christ has orchestrated called the church. And so their commitment to fellowship, this commitment to koinonia, went so much deeper than their devotion just to gathering together for being together's sake. The church's koinonia, this fellowship, had an intentional function and frequency. And we see it here. What they do here in verse 42, it says, They devote themselves to gathering together under the apostles' teaching. The church gathered under the apostles' teaching. And so we start seeing a form and a function here. The apostles initially led the teaching ministry of the church. But as the church would grow and expand, so would the structure of the church. And so it would shift from being led by the apostles to being led by elders, what we know now as pastors. And their function was clear is the teaching of the word. This teaching means instruction or doctrine. This instruction, God's given us some things to how to follow him, how to know him, how to worship him. And so we need to do those things because that's why he gave us those things to do because they're good for us and only to glorify him. But also there's doctrine, which means a right understanding of the word. So doctrine means we have to rightly understand God's word. And over the course of biblical history, God has continued to push his people to pursue him and his word. And God has also organized and orchestrated certain men to proclaim and teach his word to God's people. But we have to rightly understand God's word. Doctrine matters a lot. Number two, you see here, the church, they devote themselves to gathering together for the breaking of bread. 
This is interesting. This was a common meal, but within the common meal, they would also do communion. They would share a meal, and then they would have communion, shared experience that they all had, and they all came to faith remembering what Jesus had done for them. And communion does three things just broadly. Communion number one, one, it commemorates the death of Jesus Christ. Jesus said, do this in remembrance of me. He said, do this. In the Last Supper, when you broke bread and had the, the cup and they shared that, do this in remembrance of me. And the Apostle Paul took that and ran with it in 1 Corinthians eleven twenty six, 26, saying, for as often as you eat the bread and drink the cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. And so he interpreted Jesus saying, do this in remembrance of me as keep on doing it until Jesus comes back. And so we keep on doing it until Jesus returns. So one, it commemorates the death of Christ. Number two, communion is to indicate and to meditate on the communion that believers have with Christ. We have to be reminded that we have been brought near to Christ Jesus by his blood through our faith. 1 Corinthians 10, 16 says, the cup of blessing that we bless, is it not the sharing in the blood of Christ? The sharing's koinonia? Is it not the koinonia in the blood of Christ, the bread that we break, is it not the sharing, the koinonia, and the body of Christ? Which means every time we do this thing that we call communion, that Jesus said, do this in remembrance of me, we're remembering that he is the bread of life. That we have life in him by faith and that by his stripes, we are healed. He took the punishment for our sin. His body was broken for us. What a great remembrance this is because we need to be reminded because we're forgetful people. So finally, thirdly, Communion is to indicate and meditate on the mutual communion of believers with one another. That's why we do this together. You may or may not know this, but we live stream every worship gathering, but we cut it before we do communion because that's a togetherness aspect. We do it together. It's a reminder of our relationship, our communion with God, and our communion with one another. And this is interesting because I think so many people, we like Jesus, we love Jesus, but we don't like Jesus' people. You know, it's not biblical. Like, we love Christ, but we hate Christians. You can't do that. It's a package deal. You get crazy Uncle Eddie with Christ. That's the way this goes. 1 Corinthians 10, 17 says, Because there is one bread, we who are many are one body, since all of us share the one bread. We are brought into the body of Christ by faith. And so the communion is powerful in so many different ways. So they devote themselves to gathering together for the breaking of bread. And thirdly, it says they devote themselves to gathering together for prayer. They prioritize praying together. And this is not to minimize personal prayer because we know personal prayer is powerful. This connection that we have with God through Christ. James 5, 6, 16 says, the prayer of a righteous person is very powerful in its effect. Jesus in saying not to be like the hypocrites in Matthew chapter 6, he said, but when you pray, go to your private room, shut the door, Pray to your father who is in secret and your father who sees you in secret will reward you. And so this is the, the promises that we have that we can come to God with anything and everything all the time because of our faith in Christ Jesus. He bridged the gap in our separation so that we have this communion with the father. And this is extremely important. You do not have to go to a priest or a pastor to be heard by God. It's by your faith alone and Christ alone that you have the connection made with your Heavenly Father. You do not have to go to a special place to be heard by God. We are the temples of the Holy Spirit by Christ Jesus. 
indwelling Holy Spirit inside of us. It's interesting, I was doing some research just a little bit on the Welling Wall recently, and there's a common thought that if you go to the Welling Wall to pray, that your, 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 your prayers are heard more or better. You know that's not biblical? Your prayers are heard just the same right here in the West End. Because our connection isn't a place, isn't a priest or a pastor, it is a person, his name's Jesus Christ. That's the connection we have. So your prayers are heard because you're faith-based in him. Yet, I say this personal prayer emphasis, but God does seem to do a special movement when his people gather to pray together. Is it possible the Lord's ear bends in a special way when his people gather to pray? Have you ever been like walking through a place and just heard your name said? And like, you're like, is it me? Me, you? No, there's 15 other Joshes in the room. That's why. It's almost around Christmas time, and each Christmas season, uh, the church we used to serve at five miles up the road or so here, uh, they do a um, what's called Bethlehem Walk. It goes through, it's a nativity story drama that people are interactive with. They pray, play certain roles, and people come through and see the drama and the story of from Christ's birth to Christ's resurrection. And it's really pretty cool, but we, they need a bunch of people to serve, and so I'd serve in different ways, and and so afterwards, we're cleaning up. I'm in this tent cleaning up, and I hear someone walking by, and they're talking, and they say, man, what's up with Josh's teeth? And so my, like, I wasn't paying attention. I'm just doing my thing, but my ears perked up. Yeah, his breath stinks. I'm like, what in the world? And so I pop out, and I knew the ladies. I'm like, I'm right here, right? They're like, I'm not talking about you. See, they had a camel named Josh. And they were talking about Josh's stinky camel teeth. Yeah, that's what they're doing. But from my ears were bent. I'm like, what in the world? Yeah, I drink some coffee. I realize that. But anyway. But God seems to do a special thing when his people gather to pray. You hear the common phrase that Jesus says in Matthew 18, verse 24, where two or three are gathered in my name, I am there among you. And this is wildly used, and I would say sometimes inaccurately used. I mean, in context, Jesus is talking about helping someone stumbling in sin be reconciled. But he quotes Deuteronomy 19.15, which is talking about if an accusation is made, how do you find what's truthful? And at 19.15 in Deuteronomy says, one witness cannot establish any iniquity or sin against a person. Whatever that person has done, a fact must be established by testimony of two or three witnesses. That's what he's talking about. Yet he says, where two or three are gathered, I am there among you. So there's still a special presence that God has with his people gather together to pray. Malachi 3.16 seems to indicate this as well. As Malachi, in Malachi 3, there's a whole bunch of people that were following God in rebellion against God. But God always has a remnant of people who are faithfully following him in reverence and fear. And Malachi 3.16 simply says that at that time, those who feared the Lord spoke to one another. And it says the Lord took notice and listened. Just feel the power of that. As we gather as his people to pray together, God takes notice and listens. I know many of y'all don't know this, but this nine o'clock every morning on Sunday mornings, we gather for a prayer experience. That's what we do. We, we pray. Say it, nothing flashy. We just pray because God takes notice and listens. And we see this in Acts 4.31, and I just believe that God still does amazing things when his people gather to pray. But in Acts 4, you see this persecution that's breaking out, and 
they come back together and pray. And it says, when they pray in verse 31, when they prayed together, when they had prayed, the place that they were assembled was shaken. They were gathering to pray. And as they were praying, the place started shaking. I want that to happen. I want us to be praying like that. I want the Holy Spirit to pour down and just feel it shaking the place. And it says they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak the word of God boldly. You know why they began to speak the word of God boldly? Because they were praying for more boldness to speak the word of God amidst persecution. And God was faithful to do just that. Now, I want us to be a praying church. I know God desires us to be in praying churches because praying people and praying churches please God. So we see this church starts to have form and function, but there's also a frequency that we see with the church. And the reason why this matters a whole lot because we look back to that church to see what we are to do as a church. We don't get to make this stuff up. God has said and showed what the church is supposed to do, so let's just do that. And notice in verse 46, look at verse 46 with me. It says, and every year, this doesn't say that, does it? Every month, every week, every day they devote themselves to meeting together in the temple and broke bread from house to house. Now imagine that. I mean, some of us think we're killing it by making it two times on a Sunday a month, right? And praise God. But church isn't just a one-time, one-hour-a-week commitment. We say every time we close worship gathering, the church isn't something you go to or something you do. It's a people you belong to. And clearly, these people called Christians, the local church, do life together by God's design. And you could say, well, they just weren't as busy as we are, Josh. And I would agree to an extent. I'm going to push this a little bit there because we're busy. But most of us are busy with nonsense. I mean, they work too. They had families too. They had to provide also. I would say we're busy with nonsense most of the time. Now, some of us, man, some of us are working several jobs to have to provide food on the table. And as a local church, hear me when I say we want to come around you, support you, to give you time off, support, care. But by and large, the majority, we're busy with nonsense. Every Sunday morning, I've told you this before, I get a screen alert to say what, how much screen time I've had on my phone. Do you guys get these? you guys see these alerts? Just this morning, three and a half hours on my phone this past week. Obviously, it's all Bible, right? All the Bible stuff. But I look at it, I'm like, what am I doing for three and a half hours on the phone? I know we're busy, but we need to prioritize what we prize. That's what we do. We prioritize what we prize. What you care about, you make sure happens. I'm telling you, we need to prioritize gathering together regularly. We need it. You need it, and our church needs you to need it. We need one another. So many times we come Sunday mornings, I'm getting way off here, so bear with me. Sometimes we come Sunday mornings and walk away like, I just didn't get anything from the service. Well, we weren't here to worship you, number one, right? And so, But man, when you come here, you contribute to what God's doing in this place. The church needs you and you need the church. By God's design. So we see a frequency. But then we see these sharing, partnership, contribution, that fellowship koinia means. Look at verse 44. Verse 44 says, All the believers were together and held all things in common. They were unified in 
purposeful partnership. Or you could say they're unified in purposeful koinonia, fellowship. This is what we, in 1 Corinthians chapter 1, the Apostle Paul is writing to the local church in Corinth, and they're having this divisiveness over who they say they follow and just different things. And this unity that believers are called to have, they were having a hard time with it. And he points out in verse 9, he says, God is faithful. That's a good starting place. God is faithful. He says, you were called by him into fellowship, koinonia, with his son, Jesus Christ, our Lord. He says, now I urge you, brothers and sisters, in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, that all of you agree in what you say, and there be no divisions among you, and that you be united with the same understanding and the same conviction. What he's saying here is that the church is called to be unified. This is the only thing that the Holy Spirit generates as we follow him together, a unity. You want an uncommon community? Find a community that's unified. That's what the church is supposed to look like. You want to see a compelling community? Find a church that's unified. We'll be part of that. Psalm 133 verse 1 simply says, How delightfully good when brothers live together in harmony. And so you see this unity that the local church had towards a common purpose, this fellowship. And then verse 45 says, They sold their possessions and property and distributed the proceeds to all as any had need. So you see this uncommon unity, but then you see this, they were unified in revolutionary generosity. They were meeting needs by giving and you see this in, in Acts 4, they, they were meeting needs by giving within the local church to meet needs. Acts 4 verse 32 says, Now the entire group of those who believed were of one heart and one mind, and no one claimed that any of his possessions was his own. But instead they held everything in common. With great power the apostles were given testimony to the resurrection of the Lord Jesus, and great grace was on them, on all of them. For there was not a needy person among them because all who owned lands and houses sold them, brought the proceeds of what they was sold, and laid them at the apostles' feet. This was then distributed to each person as any had need. Can you picture this? Revolutionary generosity held all things in common and distributed anything everyone has that had need. And now let me say this because I'm going to say it anyway. I took it out of my notes, but I'm going to say it anyway because I think it matters. I've heard this used in a wrong way to promote socialism. It's not what this is saying. This was voluntary and distributed towards specific needs, not all sharing in a communal kind of way. Does that make sense? This is a picture of the church that the funds and finances and possessions flows through the church, not stops at the church. Meaning we care for one another and we care for other people. And that's what we see here in Romans 15 is that local churches were caring for other local churches. In Acts, or Romans 15, verse 25, the Apostle Paul writes, Right now I'm traveling to Jerusalem to serve the saints because Macedonia and Achaia were pleased to make a contribution. Koinonia. We're pleased to make a koinonia for the poor among the saints in Jerusalem. So other churches were given to other local churches to share and partner and contribute in the needs that they were having. This is what churches do, and this is what Christians do. Revolutionary generosity. Giving for the sake of others. And man, I'm just so excited to be a part of this local church. I've never seen a local church so generous as God has given this local church. I mean, from the get-go, we have been able to partner financially and personally with other churches. 
by your generosity, this church was helpful in another church navigating their closing and combining with another local church. By our generosity, this church is able now to partner with three other church plants to help them get going and establishing the gospel go forth in some needed areas, two in Virginia and one in Puerto Rico. It's amazing what the generosity of a local church can do for the sake of the kingdom, God's glory, and for the good of many. I'm just asking God to do more. Let's continue to push the accelerator on our generosity and see God do amazing things. That's what you see the early church did. And I'm often asked the wrong question about giving, tithing, whatever you want to call it. Usually it goes, how much do I have to give? How much am I required to give? I really think it's a wrong question. Now, you could go to the 10%, which is easy to glean from the Old Testament, but really, when you add it all up, they were giving way more than 10%. But really, when we're asking, how much do I have to give? We're really asking, how much can I keep? Right? How much can I keep? You don't see that in the New Testament church. You see, how much can I give? How much can I give away? How many needs can I meet? This is revolution generosity that God creates in the life of a believer and the life of the local church as they seek and are dependent on him. And God, may he do more in the life of this church. So the church here not only prioritized koinonia with one another in teaching and prayer and communion, but they prioritized koinonia to one another and sacrificially sharing with one another in their suffering. And this is huge. I just want to stay here for a minute because we see these functions of the church, but we need to touch on suffering because Christians are going to experience suffering. That's why you see the church meeting financial suffering needs, but you're going to experience suffering. If If you aren't now, I'm sure you have. You know someone who is. We experience suffering, and suffering happens in the life of a Christian. And Jesus said this. In the moments before he would be betrayed and handed over to be murdered, he gathered his disciples for this Passover celebration, the meal, and he taught them all kinds of things in these moments together during this meal. Then John chapter 16, verse 33, Jesus says, I've told you these things so that you may have peace. And he says this, you will have suffering in this world. Don't miss that. You will have suffering in this world. But he says this, be courageous. I have conquered the world. You will have suffering. You will go through things, hard things. You'll go through things that make you question all kinds of things. You'll go through things that make you feel all kinds of things. And sometimes you'll go through things that you'll doubt that God's even there present with you because the things you're going through are so difficult. We have suffering, and suffering can produce a shame in our life if you let it. And if, I'm going to encourage you. If you're feeling shame and you're suffering and it's going to isolation, that's a lie from the devil. It's a lie from the enemy. I want you to know this church is a safe place for those who are suffering. You don't have to suffer alone. Because what the devil will say is that you're the only one that's ever dealt with that. Or you're the only one that ever felt like that. It's just not true. Listen, I know we've talked about anger here and there before. And usually I confront anger from a biblical stance of usually we get angry because we don't get what we want. We're basically functioning toddlers at every level. But there's an anger that's caused when things happen to us. Let me explain. I, I think I can summarize suffering 
So I know everyone deals with things at all kinds of different levels, different ways, but I think there's three broad categories when it comes to suffering. This matters a whole lot, being a church that wants to care for and walk well alongside one another in our suffering moments, that sharing, that koinonia that we have with one another. One, sometimes we suffer from our own endeavors. Sometimes we suffer from the evilness of others. And thirdly, sometimes we suffer by living in a broken world. I think any suffering that you go through, you can categorize in one of those three camps. Sometimes suffering is our own endeavors. That means we still sin. Isn't that crazy? Like, you're a Christian and still sin sometimes. Do you know that? This isn't like condoning, but this is comforting. We fall short of the glory of God, but by Christ Jesus, we don't lose our salvation because we didn't earn anything to gain it. It was given to us, so it won't be taken from us. We're still God's children, yet we stumble sometimes. But what 1 John 1, 9 says, if we confess our sins, he is faithful and righteous to forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. That's a lot of stuff. So take comfort that if your sin has caused some suffering in your life, you don't have to stay there. And it is forgivable. Christ Jesus does forgive all sin if we come to him with it. And then James 5.16 takes it a step forward. It says, therefore, confess your sins to one another and pray for one another. Man, there is power in bringing the darkness to light. I've heard it said that God won't heal what you don't reveal. It's biblical. We just heard it. Confess and pray for one another. Don't let suffering produce a shame. We've all been there at some level. We've all sinned and fall short. We've all done stupid things that we regret. But God's grace is more. You cannot outsin God's grace. Going into suffering, sometimes you suffer from the evilness of others. And this is where suffering really gets hard. Because sometimes I know it's hard to forgive ourselves, but then when someone else does some significant evil against you or someone you know that was truly innocent in the scenario, that's extremely hard to get over and traumatizing. I've heard several stories this past few weeks of significant evil done to people that were in innocent in the circumstance. Romans 12, 17 says, don't repay evil. Don't repay anyone evil for evil. It means people do evil against you. But the context is trust God in him demonstrating his justice in the appropriate measure at the appropriate time. But I want to tell you that suffering, when you go through it, there's some natural reactions. One of them is anger. I just want to give us space to be angry. I know this seems anti-Bible because the Bible says don't be angry. But I'm telling you, there's a process that we go through, but in your anger, don't stay in your anger. Don't stay there. Continue to press into Christ. I'm getting ahead of myself, but don't stay there. But at the same time, know there's no shame there as well. If you're having doubts in your relationship with Christ, come to Christ with your doubts. Don't stay there stuck there. Press into Christ. But there's no shame there either. And finally, sometimes they're suffering from living in a broken world. And we know this. Romans 8, 18 through 20 seems to point to this brokenness of the world. And what the Apostle Paul says is really fix your eyes on Jesus in the midst of the brokenness. He says, for I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worthy in comparing with the glory that is coming to be revealed to us. That is the coming of Jesus 
not worthy in comparison to being face-to-face with Jesus and the sufferings that we're experiencing now. And he says this, For the creation eagerly awaits with anticipation for God's sons to be revealed, for the creation was subject to futility. Meaning, from the curse of that one sin that we see in Genesis 3, we get all the garbage. Famines, earthquakes, storms, diseases. So some of us are just suffering from circumstances that this fallen world created, diseases being one of them. But man, that could lead us to just questions and anxieties and fears and struggles and anger. Natural emotions don't stay there. There's no shame in being there, but don't stay there. That's why I want to give you two responses for those who are suffering, because this all relates, because we're sharing koinonia in all these things. We're partnering koinonia in all these things. Number one, run to Christ in your sufferings. Run to Christ. Jesus says in Matthew 11, Come to me, all of you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, because I am lonely and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls, for my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Are you feeling overburdened and heavy? Man, come to Jesus. Run to the Lord because he's a good father. And secondly, you run to Jesus and then you run to other Christians. This is the hard part. Running to Jesus can be hard, but now running to other Christians You weren't meant to be alone. And it's not good for you to stay in your aloneness. Galatians 6 verse 2 says, Carry one another's burdens. In this way you will fulfill the law of Christ. And the only way that a Christian can carry someone else's burdens is if Christians share burdens with one another. You guys realize that, right? They say gross things grow in the dark. You have to bring them to light so they can be healed. And we're meant to walk well with one another. And as I was just meditating on this this morning, I wonder if you're the Christian that other Christians can run to with their issues, with their suffering. Are you the Christian that other Christians can trust and they come to you with all things, not being worried about being condemned, criticized, ostracized, marginalized? Man, I hope so. I'm just praying for God to continue to create a heart in this place for compassion and mercy because we were shown compassion and mercy all throughout our lives. Jesus says, I give you a new command to love one another just as I've loved you. You're also to love one another. How Jesus loved us sacrificially, giving himself for us when we didn't ask for it, deserve us, while we were still sinning and falling short of his glory, he died for us, proving his own love, demonstrated in the death of Christ Jesus. This is what sacrificial love looks like. He says, now go love others like I loved you. The point is that you are not alone in your suffering. So stop trying to do it on your own. You're not alone. You have a good heavenly father. And you have a church family that desires to care well for you. I think about this as just trying to do it on your own mentality. You know, I have these little guys, little, little young kids. And uh, my two-year-old should be trying to open a banana. You know, a two-year-old, you're pretty self, you're pretty independent. Like, no doubt I got this. So I'm just sitting here watching. And you know, some of the bananas, when they're green, you can't open them, man. And the more you try, you're like smushing them. Have you guys found this out? Yeah? Smushing them, you can't open them. And so finally she gives up, and then I have to try, and I'm smushing them more, so I have to get scissors, you know what I mean? And, um, 
And now it's all jacked up. It's all like smushed and nasty. Nobody wants to eat that. And she doesn't want to eat it anymore because she done ruined it. But isn't that what it seems like sometimes? Isn't that what we do? Like we'll try our best on our own strength and we'll just mess it all up and find like, oh, I got the smushed banana. God help me, right? Like the last thing we do is I messed up my life. Okay, I guess I'll trust in Jesus. And man, Jesus is like, come to me first. Come to me with it. It's funny because I got my two-year-old. Now my four-year-old's like, dad, open banana. Like at some point, like, but you can do it yourself now. Lessons learned. But man, this is the gospel message that we all were created in God's image for the purpose to have a relationship with them, but we sin and fall short and we can't do anything about it. We can't do enough good deeds, good works. Isaiah 64 says our good works, our righteous acts are like filthy rags or nasty bananas, right? That's what our good works looks like. If you're trying to earn God's grace and forgiveness, he says, stop and trust in me. I paid the price for your sin. I died and rose again. So that everyone who trusts in Jesus has eternal life, and that life starts at the moment you believe and lasts forever. This is the good news of the gospel. But this is a starting place for everything that we've talked about in this koinonia and sharing with one another in all these different ways. It starts with the koinonia that we have with Christ, the fellowship that we have in Christ. And the church that looks like this will be an uncommon community, but will be a compelling community. Because what did Jesus say when he gave this new commandment, right? Love others as I have loved you. But he says this, by this, this love, everyone will know that you are my disciples if you love one another. This is a revolutionary love, a revolutionary community, because if we love each other like this, serving each other like this, having this type of koinonia, this type of fellowship, this is compelling. And people want to know and be part of what God's doing here. What makes you different? Well, I'm glad you asked. His name's Jesus. That's it. I'm not a good person, but Jesus has done a work in my life. And I come to other people where it's a community, that a bunch of people that aren't good. Y'all are all right, but you guys, right? But Jesus has done a work in us individually and together. And for his glory, and I want to be a part of a church that looks like this. And I believe that this church in Acts 2, 42 through 47 can still exist. And I believe God's doing a work here. But it takes us to press in together, to fight off the vision and fight in together, pressing into Christ Jesus, fixing our eyes on Christ Jesus, and trusting him through it all, and then caring well for one another. I mean, can we do this? This is a church I want to be a part of. And you see, in verse 47, as we close, this compelling community was just that. People were drawn to the community and ultimately drawn to the Lord. It says, every day the Lord added to their numbers those who were being saved. I'm telling you, there's a community out here that every day people are perishing outside of Christ Jesus. And what are we doing about it? Are we living this way of intentional community as Christians together to glorify and represent Christ well in the community that's searching for hope. There's a community that's searching for God out there and they're totally missing him. I spoke to one guy outside of Starbucks just this week. He said he's a Catholic. I said, oh man, that's good. That's great. Let me ask you a question. I said, listen, we're all gonna stand before the Lord one day and if the Lord was to ask you why, hypothetically, why should I allow you into my heaven? What would you say? You guys just think about that for a second. What would you say? We said, well, I'm a pretty good person. I do some, I try to do good things. I try to live my life right. Can I tell you 
That will not fly on the day of judgment. Based on his statement of faith, he is not saved from God's wrath. He is not in Christ Jesus. And my fear is that everyone who comes to church, all these churches that are filled, are filled with people like this. Think, well, I go to church on Sundays. Man, I read the Bible sometimes. I helped Aunt Betty cross the street last week. Man, the only right response. If God were to ask you, why should I let you into my heaven? It's because of Jesus. Jesus died for my sins and said, if I just believe in him, I have eternal life. That's it. And based on that, the Holy Spirit does a work. Leads to turning from our sins and turning to faith in Christ. So all these things that we're talking about starts there. The koinonia that we have with Christ Jesus. That leads to the koinonia that we have with our Heavenly Father, who's a good Father. This fellowship. So, man, I'm going to ask you that just this morning. We're going to have a time of prayer and response. But where are you at in your relationship with the Lord? And where are you at with your relationship with others around you? Has this koinonia been broken between you and others? This is a great time just to come and confess and seek reconciliation with those around us. Don't let any bitterness division creep into our this faith family. It's destructive. But man, more than that, as we pray towards those things, what God's doing, I just know that as we come together, there's people who are hurting, suffering. You have relationships that are hurting, suffering. Marriages. Your children are wandering away and hurting and suffering. You are hurting and suffering as a, as a parent watching your kids hurt and suffer. All these things. We're dealing with diseases. We're dealing with hardships. We're dealing with circumstances. We're dealing with work situations. All these things we come in here. We come here just suffering. And we can come in here like we talked about earlier this morning. How are you doing, brother? Oh, I'm blessed and highly favored. And your world looks like a dumpster fire. I just pray that we can come here and just be who we are. Like if I'm suffering, I want to be able to come to a church and know that our brothers and sisters in Christ who care for me, that I can be transfer, transparent with and share my suffering. Man, may God do a work in this place in that way. But it starts with God doing a work in us individually. So I'm going to invite our, our band back up and we're going to close in a response. And what that means is we're going to sing another song. But before we do that, I'm just going to lead us in a prayer. But I want to allow space for you to pray in the quietness of your own heart to deal with God and what he's dealing with you in. Maybe he's just revealing some things for you, that maybe sin that you weren't even aware of that by his graciousness, he's asking you to turn from and trust in him. Maybe you're just suffering and hurting. Just bring it to the Lord. Maybe you feel just alone, isolated, depressed. I just remind you, God's a good father and he created you just as you are in his image to enjoy a relationship with him. Bring all that to him. And let's pray together. I'm just going to allow some time just for you to pray between you and the Lord. I'm going to close this time of prayer and then we're going to respond by singing, praising, 
and continue to pray. Let's pray together. Father, we just come before you just thankful. Thankful that you're a good father who desires your children to come to you with all their burdens, anxieties, fears, stresses, emotions, needs, sufferings, hardships, knowing that you are present and working. Remind us, Father, that no matter what we go through, that you'll never leave us nor forsake us. No matter what we go through, we know that you're working and leading through it all. Help us remind remind us that we will have suffering in this world, but you have overcome, you have conquered the world. And so in you, we can still have peace that surpasses understanding. So help us just run to you with all of our emotions, trusting in you, Father. And Lord, we just ask that you continue to create this compelling community that is your church, this safe place for those who are hurting and suffering, a safe place for us to just come together and bear each other's burdens, to care well for one another in a way that just glorifies you and exemplifies your love that you have given us. Create this love in us, Father. We know this love only happens as we draw close to you. So we just ask that you continue to build our faith. Help us to see you more clearly, the goodness of your grace and how amazing your love is and just experience you personally. Lord, lead us in this response in this moment and lead us in the response to the rest of this Sunday going into this next week, Lord. Help us to leave here changed and closer to you. Help us leave her just feeling lighter by being refreshed by your Holy Spirit. Help us to just to heal the wounds that only you can in our lives caused by suffering, trauma, and hurt, Lord. Just heal us, maybe physically, spiritually, emotionally, Lord. We just ask that you heal by the power of your Holy Spirit. Just move and fill this place and remind us that you're still good and working and present and moving. We're not ever left to be our alone or isolated, distant from you, Father, that you're always seeking and pursuing us. We thank you, Father. We thank you for Jesus. And we pray all this in the name of Jesus. Amen. Thank you for listening to the Way Church Podcast. If you would like prayer or if you'd like to talk to someone about a personal relationship with Jesus, please contact us through our website at thewaychurchrva.com.